I want to just sort of introduce to say um, a point I was making to a couple of people over lunch, which I guess I come here with um, with my book, The Exclusion of Politics of Asylum, being the work I've done around securitisation and migration primarily, um, which I since have not been actually working on the securitisation and migration, partly consciously. Mm -hmm partly just subconscious distancing from my PhD work. So um, so I actually really appreciated coming, being invited to actually speak on this, just to having had a bit of a break, being able to kind of reflect on where I was um, trying to intervene with this book. Um, um, but it means that um, in some senses, some of the ideas um, are thought through in relation to empirical material I've done. I did a, a while back, and I, so I haven't got the updated stuff, but luckily I'm on with Don, who knows the ins and outs of policy right now and over the last years really well, so I was very glad to be on with Don in that sense. Um, and the other point to make is um, um, how closely my paper sort of speaks to some of the things that um, Andrew was speaking about um, earlier, and um, uh, I think it's, it's interesting to kind of see how I come at, uh, come at it slightly differently, and I think that just shows the kind of difficulties of how do we think about security, what is securitisation, and I think I come at it kind of precisely as one of those people that see it in a much broader sense, which you kind of, um, you know, rightly bring the kind of analytical dimensions of securitisation to the fore. Well, <coughs> I want to sort of make a case for understanding securitisation in a broader sense to some to some extent, which probably comes more from a kind of political, the kind of politics um, of that. And um, interestingly enough, um, I decided to kind of speak, um, this paper speaks in relation to one particular um, paper that came out that securitisation hasn't been that hasn't happened in relation to migration since 9-11, which is um, Andrew's colleague, Christina, Christine Boswell. So this is, I, I just worked through um, how I respond to her paper mainly here. Um, so it's quite specific in that sense. So I'll try and keep my best to time. But 10 years after 9-11, the problem of migration in security dynamics brings to mind a question that would seem to have divided some scholars of migration studies from scholars of critical security studies. Um, and that's a question of whether migration has been subject to securitisation post 9-11. But I guess I would see it more appropriate to pose this question as to how far, in what ways, um, has migration been securitised securitise um, over the past 10 years and more, um, and with what consequences. So as Christina Boswell indicates um, in this article, Racial Challenges, a claim that migration has been securitised post 9-11, um, it would not do simply to presume the securitisation of migration, nor would it do to automatically assume that 9-11 led to an intensification of the process of securitisation. Um, but rather, if we're going to understand how migration has been governed through its constitution as a problem of security, or not, as the case may be, then we need to address the various operations and effects of securitisation, as well as operations and effects that work either in parallel with that or in, in tension with such processes. So I want to start with her, Boswell's argument regarding the absence of securitisation. To, draw, to set out some of the elements of critical security studies that I think she fails to take seriously enough. 
in this article. So Boswell argues that although there's evidence of the securitization of migration in the US case, um, this is not, not the case in uh, Europe, um, or not evidently the case in Europe. Um, and she specifically argues there's no evidence of a direct causal linkage between migration and terrorism at the level of political discourse or rhetoric um, in the European context, and that the level at the level of practice is evidence of the transportation of migration control instruments into anti-terrorism practice, but not the other way, rather than the transportation of anti-terrorism practice into the field of migration control. So on this basis, she argues there's no evidence of 9-11 as impacting on the securitization of migration. And she suggests that such a finding challenges many of the assumptions of scholars working within the field of critical security studies. So I'll come back to some of the ways that Boswell conceives securitization. Um, but just I think it's important to flag up the kind of broader um, academic context which we might situate this intervention. Um, and particularly, I think, with regard to um, differences that have uh, come about between some scholars of migration um, and some scholars of critical security studies. So certain, I don't want to kind of overly um, emphasise this divide because there's a lot of work that goes on across these two bodies, but certain um, assumptions about each camp, I think, have been, have been made. Um, and um, so for me, this divide is um, one that's actually, I see it as a false divide, really, because um, really it's primarily um, a different political, different focus, emphasis of each body of literature. Um, and also reflecting a different political orientation and a different account of what serves as an important analytical intervention when it comes to the question of migration control. So if I can just very broadly sketch critical security scholars, the emphasis primarily on the development of um, border controls, restricted migration policies, development of techniques of surveillance, data management. This is a way that critical security scholars have tended to come in on migration. Um, and this reflects, uh, I think, a critical orientation toward the ways in which mobility is governed through exceptionist politics or through um, the production of generalised unease. Um, and this entails an analytical intervention that exposes the logic, practices, effects of security practices and or what I would see as broader processes of securitisation as a production of threat or, or, or unease. Um, so for scholars of migration policy, on the other hand, there's been um, a more a kind of heavy focus on um, explaining the persistence for development of liberalised immigration policies, um, particularly in light of the strength of anti-immigrant sentiment. Um, and so then a, a kind of emphasis on the liberal constraints on government policy, such as liberal institutional norms, um, the legis legitimacy of civil rights, human rights claims. These are, are flagged as important. And then uh, the kind of analytical intervention is more orientated towards looking at ways different interests, um, institutional structures and norms actually drive and condition the development of policy and practice. So, I mean, I don't want to pose one of these bodies of literature as more important as the other. I come more from the critical security studies angle, but I'm not a scholar of security in the same way that Andrew is. So I've kind of been more located in the uncomfortable place in between, and I don't think I've grappled with that uncomfortable place 
ideally in the book, well, I didn't come to terms with it in the book, so please bear with me in my discomfort in coming back to that place. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, really what I want to um, draw attention to in relation to Boswell's piece in particular here is the need for a more kind of nuanced understanding um, of the relationship between liberalisation and securitisation. Um, for an understanding, a kind of critical understanding of securitisation is a more complex set of practices, I think, than Boswell articulates this. Um, and what I want to do is just, I guess, three things on in the paper. Set out how I conceive this, what I've, I guess I, I've put more nuanced understanding of what it means to analyse the securitisation of migration. But I don't want to say that too confidently um, after the discussions we've already had, because it may actually be too vague, right? So Andrew could come back at me on that. But um, second, though, I want to um, argue for an understanding of what Boswell suggests to be the absence of securitisation as an absent presence raise that question of whether it's better to understand this. Uh, it's in this way. And then third, um, just emphasise the importance of uh, understanding how liberalisation and securitisation can coexist and uh, the important of, importance of kind of trying to grapple with that problem without discounting the insights that particular security scholars um, might brought to the um, understanding of these issues over recent years. So um, on the securitisation of migration, just to go through Boswell's argument a bit more, the first line she um, develops is with regard to rhetorical or discursive dimensions of securitisation. And so she argues migration is not articulated in the European context, at least, as causally related to terrorism. And this is for three reasons. First, it, because terrorism and migration present incongruous images. So uh, the destitute asylum seeker doesn't look like the organised terrorists. Second, it doesn't happen because the links between terrorism and migration are not held up by empirical evidence. Many uh, terrorists have been found to be European nationals, so particularly in the UK context, and European context, it's been difficult to um, uphold that argument. And then um, finally, she says it doesn't happen um, because of the clash between securitisation and the more liberal approach of managed migration, or the more liberal dimensions of that. So Boswell makes some important points here, um, and I think like prompts us, or certainly me, to unpick securitisation more carefully. Um, but I think some of the arguments she makes um, uh, that she makes is indicating a lack of securitisation can be questioned. Um, for example, the incongruous images of the asylum seeker and terrorists, I would say, in, in quite a sim simple way, don't necessarily guard against the association of terrorism and migration as mutual threats, um, even if there's no kind of explicit and direct link made there. In fact, the kind of um, the vagueness of um, articulating threats counteracts against this problem in a sense. So threats, for example, were flagged up by the UK Rotating Presidency of 2005, um, Rotating Presidency of the European Union, um, as equivalent challenges increasingly in an increasingly interconnected world. And I think the fact we're speaking under the RC research, RC UK Global Uncertainties yeah. programme um, perhaps um, is indicative of this um, line, of line of articulation where many of the issues, uh, this is the, a, a quote from the UK presidency, 
Many of the issues faced by government today, such as terrorism, asylum and immigration and organised crime, can be tackled most effectively through increased cooperation between member states. Um, so also a point that was made by Danielle earlier about how asylum and immigration come um, in, a, in under security or next to security uh, and anti-terrorism measures in a lot of the um, documentation. These are not to be you know, discounted, the importance of those associational links, I would say. Um, and it's indicative of a major securitisation that doesn't presuppose a need for a direct or causal link between migration and terrorism, but rather understands this presence of associational links necessarily as entailing what could be described as a mode of securitisation, or I would use the term irregularisation personally. But these associational links have become commonplace in precisely in political and popular discourse over recent years. Um, and could be understood as evidence of uh, the intensification of the securitisation, criminalisation, migration, rather than the absence of this. Um, taking up Boswell's second point, um, which is about the fact that migrants and terrorists aren't the same people, there's no empirical evidence to support that. Um, I think we could go further here um, to argue that the very fact um, that these these associations are so easily conflated, they, they arise so often, even without evidence of empirical linkage, we could actually interpret that as um, indicative of the extent toward which migration um, has been conceived of or securitisation has been the dominant mode of relating to migration or articulating migration as a threat or potential threat over recent years. So, in that sense, to say that there's no evidence of securitisation at the rhetorical or discursive level, um, I, I, would, um, I would question whether that misses some of the processes of securitisation and criminalisation that have been evident over recent years. Then if we move to Oswald's second line of argument, which is about the level of practice, um, I think, again, it seems her intervention would partially support um, my suggestion that securitisation and criminalisation has become a dominant mode of relating to migration. Um, I, I actually don't see so many kind of disagreements in my position that Boswell's actually is. I, I kind of set up in some ways. Um, she suggests that at the level of practice there's a clearer linkage of migration control and anti-terrorist measures, actually, a, a kind of interoperability. Um, she does suggest is in play. Um, but notable here, I think, is that Boswell jumps from the absence of securitisation at the level of rhetorical debate to the absence of securitisation at the level of practice. To me, it actually entails a kind of distinction um, between discourse and practice that some might conceive as problematic, um, particularly if we adopt a notion of discourse that's more broad and um, relates to kind of constitutive uh, role of knowledge, um, as opposed to what might be described as thinner constructivist models, conceiving discourse in terms of rhetoric or speech, uh, narrative. So um, classically, this is the kind of Copenhagen school approach, I guess. Um, and this then has implications for the argument regarding the absent, regarding absence of securitisation if we start with um, the level of rhetoric or debate, and debate. I don't want to go into these kind of analytical differences in detail here. Um, um, rather, I just want to flag them up as important in how we conceptualise securitisation. Um, and I also want to 
um, take up Boswell's unimportant invitation, I think, which is to think carefully about the various pressures that play into um, the development of migration policy and practice and take these as important in uh, understanding how migration is constituted as a governmental problem um, and particularly addressing this in relation to the question of securitisation. Um, so Boswell's argument regarding the absence of uh, a securitisation at the level of practice hinges then on the direction in which control instruments travel between the different areas of anti-terrorism and migration policy. And she focuses on data management um, and challenges what she interprets to be the assumptions of critical security scholars, uh, critical security studies scholars, by contending it's more accurate to understand this interoperability um, uh, for migration control um, to anti-terrorism rather than the other way. Um, and but then she makes the step of interpreting that as corroborating her claim securitisation hasn't occurred post 9 11. Um, and she brings out a range of, I mean, I recommend the article, it brings out a range of important insights regarding the different goals of security professionals and administrators, um, um, more along the lines of the sort of work that um, uh, Andrea is talking about it in some regards, um, and then she focuses on institutional complexity and organisational goals and objectives. Um, so, again, not to go into details, she points to some um, interesting ways of thinking about contradictory goals in um, pressures in relation to the Home Office, for example, um, and that's particularly important, I think, when it comes to these questions of the coexistence of securitisation and liberalisation in the field of uh, migration policy. Um, and she gives us some important ways of thinking about that coexistence um, critically. But when it comes to the question of securitisation, I think that one could read um, Boswell's analysis as leading to two divisive a reading between the differences of migration policy scholars and critical security studies scholars. Um, because primarily, I think, because the question is one of um, whether or not securitisation occurs, which to me seems quite a reductive question, an important one, but I think we grapple and find it difficult to say clearly whether or not it occurs. So for me, it's uh, more important, I think, to ask how we conceive this as occurring, given that we have different conceptual apparatus to think about that. But more importantly, you know, how, how and with what consequences, which is one of the questions of the, um, the overall series, which is important, I think. Um, so, um, I, and I think this broader conceptualisation of securitisation has been evident in the critical um, security studies literature um, in terms of the process of governing through the production of threats. And I very much interpret securitisation in that that more general term and don't kind of start, don't wig myself too much to the Copenhagen School. I just see that as a kind of opening problematic that actually feeds into a broader conceptualisation of securitisation. Though, again, I'm sure Andrew can pull me up for my analytical lack of rigour in doing that. But, um, but, but I think this is um, this emphasis on understanding securitisation as part of a wider process of threat production through which migration or specific types of migration are linked and associated with various forms of insecurity is important. Um, and it's a more complex account then than, than that which addresses um, 
leads to some direct or singularly directional relationship between terrorism and migration. Um, just a good time. I have ten minutes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is, I mean, I also find then securitisation a difficult term, and um, I've, I have used the term irregularisation to kind of um, bring together um, kind of the processes of securitisation and criminalisation that go into articulating migration as a problem, um, problem of government, if you like, um, and that's even then in occurrence where the, the linkages with terrorism are absent. Um, just going back briefly then to the question though that is important for the seminar series and the opening of the seminar series, I guess, which is whether or not migration has been securitised post 9-11. Um, and I would agree others have made this point and already Boswell makes this point that um, the impact of 9-11 is less important than we might assume. Um, and of course there's a longer history of the association of migration and terrorism. Um, in the European context with the Trevi Group um, in the 1980s. Um, and more recently, the interoperability of migration and security instruments that Boswell points to have often been made sense at um, a public or political level in terms of emergent threats in an age of globalisation. So we have seen 9-11 feed into that kind of broader discursive articulation of migration. Um, but, but to say that 9-11, certainly in the European context, uh, nothing like in the States where it's really you know, provided a rationale. Um, and, um, you know, while anti-terrorism anti measures may in more or less identifiable ways have been invested in practices of governing migration, whether um, exceptionist or not, um, or in relation to the production, general production of NAEs, um, this is not my, my primary interest, but um, I, I mean, I think this process, as others have said, it was already underway. There's more logic to um, migration control and how 9-11 features in that, I think, is, is interesting, but it's not the primarily issue, primary issue. Um, but moving then from the argument that 9-11 um, is relatively unimportant in terms of the development of migration control and the securitisation and criminalisation of migration, um, um, it's, it seems to me nevertheless important to consider how securitisation played, has played a role in governing migration over recent years. Um, and taking processes of securitisation and criminalisation as related in constituting migration as a problem to be governed, one which is or may be uh, threatening. Um, we could also say, in this sense, I think, that irregularisation could be seen as a dominant frame through which migration is governed. Um, and this is regardless of the processes of liberalisation. It's not to say that migration is only seen as um, threatening, but to say that that idea or, and uh, practice of migration as something to be governed in relation to threat or, or a potential threat is nevertheless highly, highly uh, sedimented, I think. Um, and I say this because personally, I mean, I don't see managed migration as a project of liberalisation. Some migration scholars very much um, do, do see it as that, but rather 
there's always managed migration has always been about opening migration routes, but this has been conditional on the closure of others, or there's acceptance that some migrants can come in under specific terms, but as long as others don't come in, or as long as this is a temporary process. So there's always been that that kind of play um, in managed migration. So we can conceive and manage migration in different ways. Um, we might kind of adopt a kind of Foucauldian notion of managed migration in terms of governing through freedom, um, or, or we might see it as a compromised solution between li liberalism, neoliberalism, and restrictionism, as um, some analysts of liberal constraints have. Um, but for me, the point is that to engage in analysis of mi managed migration by refuting processes of securitization and criminalization is the wrong starting point, really, and would risk undertaking an analysis that writes out some of the most pressing political um, considerations that emerge in relation to governing migration. Um, so let me then just reiterate um, some point, a point that Broswell brushes over quite quickly in her piece. Um, and she claims that migration policy debates and practices are primarily orientated towards three problems. Those of irregular entrants, social and economic pressures, such as oppression on welfare, housing, jobs, and the smuggling and trafficking of peoples. And she, she says in passing pretty much that these emphases have led to the development of exclusionary policies generally. Um, now I want to just stress now here this, the importance of understanding that the presence of these problems in the sphere of uh, migration policy and is orientating a lot of migration policy is indicative, I would say, of the dominance of securitisation and criminalisation in contemporary practices of governing mobility. Um, and this, for me, rests on an understanding of securitisation and criminalisation's related processes, um, which come together in terms that divide and govern subjects here, migrants, um, with reference to risky behaviours or threatening or potentially threatening actions that are conceived of as producing insecurities in, in various forms. Um, so I don't want to just make a simple argument about uh, the presence of securitisation, and we've already had discussions that raise imp I, questions that I, I accept on that. Um, but rather, I want to consider whether Boswell interprets as an absence of securitisation. What she sees as an absence might be better understood as an absent presence, um, and uh, in other words, I want to pose an alternative question as to whether the very absence of the direct or explicit dimensions of securitisation that Boswell highlights might imply that migrations or particular forms of migrations, migration are already assumed to pose a threat or provoke various insecurities. So far from the absence of securitisation, this could be understood as the success of securitisation. Um, so from the perspective of the Copenhagen School of Securitisation Theory, for example, one might say the audience already takes as given the truth of the Securitising Speech Act, um, the latter becomes superfluous, we don't need it. Um, from a broader interpretive perspective, one might say migration is already un understood and governed within a broad frame of security according to a paradigm of threat and or risk. And thus the causal linkage of migration insecurity or migration and terrorism need, to be, need neither be directly articulated in debate nor directly traceable in practice perhaps in order for securitisation to be occurring. Um, and going further, one could say that the successive criminalisation of migrants, such as through increasing workplace raiding, 
rendering of irregularities is a criminal offence. This could be read as indicative of the ways in which criminality is increasingly featured in the governing of migration over recent years. So this in turn could perhaps be understood as indicative of the success of securitisation in the broader sense of it meaning as governing migration through the production of threat. Um, and to me, then, this demands a kind of more nuanced, multi-dimensional account of securitisation than that provided by Copenhagen School as a process of irregularisation, and perhaps required in order to address the questions how far, in what ways, with what consequences, migration is securitised, rather than the more simple questions, if it is. So, um, in light of this question, uh, this discussion, I think it might be important to shift away actually from the focus on organisational, institutional objectives that Boswell looks at, um, and actually look at the way policy and practice are intertwined with public, political, popular debate. So, I actually want to um, argue for <coughs> looking precisely at the relations, actually, um, not bundling them together, but looking at the interrelation or interplay. And I can't do it comprehensively. I tried to do it in my book. <laughs> but I don't know how well. But, um, but I, just to give some insights into what I uh, was doing in the book um, with reference to the three um, policy problems that Boswell outlines, the regulation, social economic pressures, criminal smuggling and trafficking. Now, not to refute the importance of um, the work done both in migration and critical security studies, um, um, engaging in analysis of institutional and practical dynamics, um, and um, the importance of drawing attention to the limits um, of public or political debate, which Andrew set up really nicely this morning. Um, but I still want to suggest that more work needs to be done to address the ways in which securitisation and criminalisation become just self-legitimising um, modes of governing migration. And to me, that demands this sensitivity to uh, the interrelation between um, the constitution of specific policy problems as threats associated with migration and debates and practices uh, around migration. Um, so just to try and make the point clear, what I'm trying to get at here is what some might conceive, conceive of as the absence of securitisation may in fact be an absent presence if we understand first securitising or criminalising narratives and practices in a relatively broad sense as in terms of the production of threat and second an absence of direct and causal links between migration and security such as criminality or terrorism as being indicative of this, both possibly the success of securitisation and criminalisation as well, perhaps, as the absence of evidence to support such a linkage. So um, I speak specifically to Boswell here. Um, but when we look at irregular entrance, social economic pressures, smuggling and trafficking of uh, migrants, um, I want to make the case for the way for looking at the ways in which these pro these problems are actually often produced and reproduced through the practices that are engaged to address them. Um, so I've argued elsewhere that the problem of irregular entrance is one that needs to be understood as constituted as such through the development of restrictive measures uh, that prevent authorised uh, migration in the first place. Um, and similarly, I've argued that pressures on housing and services 
are often provoked in the ways in which policies such uh, as dispersal are put into practice, so the dispersal of migrants to areas of poverty um, provokes many of the insecurities that uh, uh, the policy is um, supposed to be supposed to address, right? So, uh, and other scholars have spoken to the ways in which um, problems and insecurities associated with smuggling and trafficking have often been provoked by state policies that create certain migrants as vulnerable in the first place. So, uh, Victor Andriasevich's work is uh, um, points to this. Um, so, just going further, it's important, I think, to stress that the ways in which these policy problems are engaged don't only constitute migration or particular migrations and migrants as threatening, but so also do they shift the burden of insecurity onto migrants in ways that foreclose other understandings of uh, particular issues or policy problems. So, for example, irregular entrance might be conceived as a problem of political organisation as ill-suited to contemporary social formations or social economic dynamics. Um, social and economic pressures might be, uh, such as housing, welfare um, issues, might be con conceived as a problem of growing inequalities. Um, I hate to say this thing, but, you know, the association of migration with such problems in this regard might be conceived of as a successful mode of constituting threat because it invokes the presumption of guilt uh, without exposing the limitations of making the direct linkage between migration and such problems, actually. Uh, at the same time, um, policies and practices that rest on the assumption that such a linkage is founded often produce those problems they're designed to resolve, arguably because they reproduce such an assumption in taking for granted the implication that such a link exists and thus recreate it in the realities that assume. So, of course, that how this occurs needs to be the object of empirical investigation. And, um, um, but but what, what's important here is the success of securitisation in this regard would seem to be in itself fulfilling nature. Um, and its very absence um, uh, is important in its success in this, in this regard, it, or could be seen in those terms. So I, let me summarise. Yeah, um, my argument here regarding the absence of uh, the absent presence of securitisation is twofold. Then um, it's the association with migration of a series of problems could be seen as so dominantly ingrained that, uh, as a problem that must address in order that it does not become or it doesn't become or ceases to be a threat. So it, the threat doesn't need to be actually there. It can be a threat um, to, that's present um, but to be prevented. And if we take this approach then securitisation could be seen as conditioning the assumptions under which migration policy and practice develops. And second, the assumption of um, this problem or threat or potential threat can become self-fulfilling in practice because the problem is addressed as such is effectively constituted in this way through measures designed to resolve it. Um, so um, this is uh, the case um, in, in relation to irregular migration and social welfare problems um, in my argument. Migration or specific migrations in this regard don't need to be explicitly articulated as security or criminal threat, although this often occurs, nor does it need to be directly and causally linked to issues such as terrorism and criminal activity, though it sometimes has, um, in order for securitisation as a production of threat to occur. 
Um, and so from this perspective, it's not the direction between migration and security policy that's relevant, but rather the ways in which migration and specific types of migration are bound up with concerns over insecurity in ways that prevent an engagement with migration in terms that differ significantly from this. Um, and it's here that I want to return to the more fundamental, the more fundamental disagreement um, about the question of whether migration is securitised or liberalised between those two bodies. Um, and I, I hope the paper points to the fitful, pitfalls of asking this simplistic question. Um, and I think I would, <laughs> I would argue that the wedge which some scholars would seem to have pushed between migration studies and critical security studies could be seen as a false or unnecessary one, which might rest on the assumption that liberal, mig liberal migration studies scholars, that critical security studies scholars fail to acknowledge the liberalisation of migration policy. Um, I think your work, uh, Nicholas, does a lot of work to, to um, address this issue. And um, this seems to me to rest on misreading of the critical security literature, overlooking the critical importance of understanding how liberalisation and securitisation or criminalisation can run in parallel through managed migration policies. Um, and from this perspective, we need not, I guess, decide whether migration is securitised or liberalised, but understand the co-constitutive dimensions of these different um, processes. And this is being addressed in different ways um, by migration studies and critical security studies scholars. Um, but for me, then, the most pressing question is this, in this regard um, is that this, we need to have a conversation about these, these mutual processes and how to uh, diagnose them precisely in the terms that we started to do this morning um, in, terms of, in order to get to the heart of whose security is privileged in debates and practices around migration and its control. Thank you very much. That's a very interesting paper. Thank you.